And by the way, God is going to use this as a testimony that the nations may know. Remember, it's during this time frame. Not only are the Jews, because of the nature of these battles, we'll see it in a second, because God is supernaturally going to give victory. Not through the Israeli defense forces, but by God's own hand. The nations are going to... Step back and remember it's during this seven-year tribulation where the greatest revival in all of human history is going to take place. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Russia's Rise in Prophecy. As we listen to today's sermon, Dr. Brogy reminds us that we should all be awake to God's plan, be thankful for God's faithfulness, and we should all be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Carl as he continues. Now, the first time I worked through Ezekiel, I thought, Lord, how would I ever teach and preach the book of Ezekiel? And certainly when you come to a passage like Ezekiel 37, it doesn't make for a barn-burning sermon as sometimes people refer to it. But I've been commanded to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. And certainly there are those who will just hype you up on spiritual sugar, but there's also spiritual broccoli. And you need both, so pay attention. This is good for you this morning, all right? So beyond the Russian adversary with her allies, notice the second aspect of this war, starting in verse 8. I want to underscore the Russian attack, the Russian attack, beginning now, if you will, in verse 8. After many days... You will be summoned in the latter years. You will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which, have been a continu- which had been a continual waste. But its peoples were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. This is an incredible verse. We learn after many days, you being these nations... You will be summoned. Why? Because God's behind the whole operation. He's going to put a hook in Gog, and Gog's going to come down with her allies. I will bring you out. And the scripture says, after many days. And when you see that phrase, after many days, it's defined in its context. Sometimes it could be a few months, or sometimes it could be hundreds of years in many Old Testament illustrations. Well, God defines it in this context, because if you look at verse 16, it says, in the latter years... In this verse, in the latter years, and in verse 16, in the last days. So when God says here after many days, he's speaking about the latter years and the last days, two Old Testament terms repeatedly used to describe that time frame before the second coming of Messiah when he rules and reigns on the earth. In verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about when? In the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. And so this is important. Now notice he describes that this is going to happen when the land is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which was a continual waste. Think about that. That's what happened. God regathered the Jewish people across the planet. He gave them victory on May the 14th, 1948, when they declared their independence. They went the next day into an impossible war where they had hundreds of thousands of soldiers against them. They were outnumbered 100 to 1. But God allowed Israel to have the victory. 
and he has allowed them to retain that victory in a land that was basically a continual waste is now blooming and blossoming in one of the richest nations in the world. And further, they are described as living securely. So we learn from verse 8 that these enemies led by Russia will come into the land of Israel that has been restored from all the nations and they are living securely. Now notice it does not say they're living peacefully. It says they are living securely. They won't live peacefully until the Prince of Peace comes back and rules from Jerusalem itself. But they're living security. In other, securely. In other words, they're not afraid that they're going to be kicked out. And all this has happened since 1948. If you read the United Nations order of the nations of the world in terms of military strength, Israel's ranked eighth in the world. Other lists put them as third on the list. Out of all the nations in the world, Israel, a small group of people, there's now nearly 8 billion people on the planet, 12 and a half million Jews, some would say 15 million. I think that's an exaggeration. I think what the Orthodox people say is correct, 12 and a half million, because there's a lot of people who want to come to Israel, claim to be Jewish, who are really not Jewish. But lay that aside. Small piece of property small, minuscule group of people and they have the eighth strongest military in the world. In fact, many of our own American weapons are field tested in Israel. And then they come back and they say, well, you should make these changes to the F-35 or do this with this. Why? Because they're using it in actual battle. They're the eighth strongest, at least the United Nations says, and so they're living securely. They're not living under the threat that they're going to be thrown out of the land. Now, notice further um, in verse 9, you will go up. He's speaking here about Gog. God commands Gog. He's giving a command. You, Gog, will go up. You will come like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. This is incredible. Just think your way through this. They're going to come, the scripture says, like a storm. And a storm can come, especially in Israel, Israel violently, unexpectedly, suddenly. Just no notice. And notice they will be like a cloud covering the land. That means they will be massive in number. You, which I underlined all the way through the verse in my Bible, is a reference to Gog. And Gog will come with all of his troops as described further in this chapter. God won't be coming alone. He'll come with all your troops and your many peoples to invade the land of Israel. Now, what is their motivation? What are the Russians thinking? We know what God is planning, but what are the Russian people thinking? Because again, Gog is the one giving this leadership. Look at verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, I will, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. So first we learn that even though the general idea to attack Israel is under God's sovereign plan, we just read that back in verse four, the evil specifics come with thoughts that are in the mind of Gog. Now there's an atheistic nation. Even its current president, he plays Christianity He's obviously not a born-again Christian. He's been bombing and obliterating every Ukrainian Orthodox church, the only churches that have been left untouched. 
And these cities that have been destroyed are the Russian Orthodox. Why? Because they work for him. In fact, most of the KGB agents during the former Cold War were all Russian Orthodox priests. In either case, God is going to underscore the evil specifics. Look, look further, starting in verse 11. And you will say, I will go up. Remember, up and down is in reference to altitude, not north and south. And they're going to go up to Jerusalem. I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go up against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. So secondly, he describes these unwalled villages, meaning they will not build walls around their villages and towns as they did in every ancient town in Israel. Only the old city of Jerusalem has a wall around it, and that's for historical slash tourist slash archaeological reasons. And while there are a few inner walls to deal with the people within the land, there's no outer walls. Why? Because they were living securely. And the word for securely means with a sense of confidence. And indeed, they have a sense of confidence. All of them living without walls and having no bars, they have a sense of security. And it's in this context that this leader known as Gog is going to lead these other nations. Now, we often say, follow the money, and you'll find the source of the issue. Look at here, verse 12. Why are they coming? To capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods who live at the center of the world. Simply said, they are coming first to capture spoil. Literally, the Hebrew says, to spoil spoil. And there's a difference. We've been witnessing the Russian troops spoil spoil. It's one of their methodologies. If you've studied Russian military tactics, as many Marines have, one of their techniques is to go in and just to obliterate a place. They wipe out civilian targets, hospitals, kindergartens, every building that they can. They spoil, spoil to demoralize the people, but also to seize plunder. They're going to steal Israel's wealth. Now, verse 12 describes what Israel has accomplished in the last 70 years. Israel's economy is estimated as 100 times stronger than the Russian economy. A small group of people, one of the wealthiest nations on the face of the earth. And this leader of Russia is going to go down and he is going to try to steal from them. When they went into the land, it was a wasteland. It looked just meanless. And they took a a piece of land that was just destroyed and they turned it around and have become one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And notice how they're described as the center of being the center of the earth. The word for center is the word navel. Just like your navel is the center of your body. God describes Israel as being the center of the world. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan, they are the ethnicities that live in modern-day Saudi Arabia. And the merchants of Tarshish, you'll remember that from our study of Jonah, that's modern-day Spain, with all of its villages will say to you, these are not involved in the invasion. They're on the sidelines, and they're looking and examining the motives, just like the nations of the world today. Why are you attacking Ukraine? Have you come to capture spoils? Have you assembled your contingent to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to capture great spoils? People are asking the same questions today. 
Now the last truth, and I want to underscore it in your thinking, beyond the Russian adversary, who's God himself, and beyond the Russian aggression uh, with this nation, God with its allies, there's the Russian annihilation. The Russian annihilation. Let's pick it up now, if you will, in verse 14. Stay with me, this is important. Therefore prophesy, son of man, Say to Gog, this is what the Lord God says, on that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, a large assembly, and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people, underscore that, my people, you will up, come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land. You know, we say, well, this is God's country. This is God's land. There's only one nation in the world in which God can say that, and that's Israel. He calls it my land so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes, Gog. So God says that he himself will bring Russia against Israel. I will bring you against my land. By the way, that has never happened in recorded history, ever. Russia out of the remote parts of the earth has never, ever come into my land, Israel, to attack my people, the Jews. And what they are going to do is going to be a colossal blunder. Because to attack my land and my people is to attack God himself, and they will pay a price. Verse 17. By the way, God is going to use this as a testimony that the nations may know. Remember, it's during this time frame. Not only are the Jews, because of the nature of this battle, as we'll see it in a second, because God is supernaturally going to give victory. Not through the Israeli defense forces, but by God's own hand. The nations are going to step back. And remember, it's during this seven-year tribulation where the greatest revival in all of human history is going to take place, where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are seen as converted. Now, there will be huge numbers of people who will follow the Antichrist. But a multitude like the sands of the seashore, John says that no one can count be converted. Verse 17, this is what the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, says. Are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. The message is is that God's patience will have expired and the dam of his mercy will break to his eternal wrath. Verse 19, in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there will certainly be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. There's going to be a God-appointed great earthquake that will be so severe that Gog and his allies won't even know what hit them. Verse 20, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, and the crawling things that crawl on the earth, and all mankind who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence, and the mountains will be thrown down, the steep pathway will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. This earthquake is going to cause such a great disturbance that the sea, the sky, the field, even the crawling insects, all mankind will collapse as every wall falls to the ground. And I will call for a sword 
against him. Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. These armies are going to be so discombobulated, they're going to start killing each other, as we've witnessed in other Old Testament victories. With plague, verse 22, and with blood I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and brimstone. This earthquake will no doubt activate volcanoes that will change the temperatures in the skies that will cause these uh, hailstones to come down and it will rain fire and brimstone. So, verse 23, I will prove myself holy and make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. God and his, Gog and his allies will realize that to fight against Israel is to fight against the God of Israel. It's very similar to what God says about Pharaoh. Listen to what Paul recorded, quoting the Old Testament in Romans 9. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very reason I raised you up. Why? In order to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. So you read the Old Testament. Oh, we heard about your God, the one who drowned all of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. (laughs) they're going to hear about God on this day. And God will be shown holy and mighty. Now all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. It's profitable. So what does God want us to learn from this section of scripture? Let me give you three applications as we close our time. Number one, first, I think we should take from this portion of scripture, we should be awake to God's plan. You know, there are two extremes with Bible prophecy. Some run ahead of God and set dates and make all kinds of stupid predictions that are not in the Bible. Others go to the opposite extreme with blinders over their eyes and they can't see what's happening and they can't see right in our day that we are nearing the return of the Lord. Remember, when he wrote this prophecy of Scripture, Russia was a small tribal people. The Zionist movement doesn't begin until the 1890s. The Jews had been scattered across the world as Ezekiel had prophesied would happen. The Iranians were, best, Iranians were best friends with Israel. But look what's happened. God's brought the Jews back. Here's a photo that should stir your thinking. Even 25 years ago, Russia, Turkey, and Iran were enemies. And here is a picture of President Rouhani of Iran, President er- er- Erdogan of Turkey and Putin, And Russia's shaking hands. They have an alliance together. And what do they have in common? They all hate Israel. God has gathered the people back in the land. The evil one is gathering his allies to go against Israel. Listen, for this battle to happen at the end of time, first God would have to regather and reconstitute Israel as a nation. Then he would have to prosper them and make them wealthy because there's a greed motivation to come and attack them. Then he has to have them living securely in the land. And then he has to make enemies allies. And God has all done that. Now let me say parenthetically, I am not saying that Vladimir Putin is Gog. And don't leave here and say, well, Pastor Carl said Vladimir Putin is Gog. Now one Christian leader came out of retirement this week and said that. That was stupid. And he also made stupid prophecies in decades past that did not come true. And again, the faith was discredited. I mean, what happens if Vladimir Putin is assassinated? What happens if he dies from the cancer he has? 
Then they'll go and say, oh, you stupid evangelicals, you're always making these predictions. Now, his predecessor, the guy who's in second slot, is a whole lot worse than he is. Could be him. We don't know. You won't know until after the church is raptured. And if you do find out, you'll wish you hadn't found out because it would only mean that you were left behind and you missed the rapture. But we do know that while we cannot say he is Gog, he is certainly Gogite. He is an evil dictator who invades nations, his neighbors. He builds alliances with other nations to go against peoples. So number one, we should be awake to God's plan. Number two, we should be thankful for God's faithfulness. When the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, he told them just before his ascension that he was going to send the Holy Spirit and they were to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he had promised. Now in the Old Testament, a magnificent work of the Holy Spirit is also associated with the Messiah's kingdom, the future millennial kingdom. And so the disciples naturally ask, it's an intelligent question showing they know their Bibles, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it would have been a perfect time for Jesus to correct them. No, 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 no. There's no more kingdom for Israel. The church is the new Israel. He just says, number one, it's not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He didn't want them to be consumed with prophecy that they missed the mission. But you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even in the remotest parts of the earth. That's what you need to concern yourself with. Men of Israel, why do you stand, look, gazing into the sky? You got a mission to do, man. We have a mission to do, and there are many Christians today who are enraptured with prophecy, and they can't remember the last time they tried to take someone through the plan of salvation. Their priorities are out of whack. Then the Catholic Church comes around, and of course, Augustine plants the seeds for this doctrine that the church is the new Israel. And of course, the Roman Catholic Church adopts it. And they say, well, the Roman Catholic Church is the new Israel. We are now the people of the living God. And then you have Protestant reformers who are saved out of that. And they just put a different spin on it. And they take the same doctrine. They say, God's done with Israel. It's embarrassing to read what Calvin said, what Luther said, what Augustine said about the Jewish people. Now, wonder the Jewish people are so defensive against some Christians. Oh, we're the new Israel. And so we have all these people today in our churches who don't know which end is up and they see absolutely nothing happening with Israel where it's right in front of you. And they came to that conclusion, especially when for 1,900 years, nothing seemingly happened. But remember, God said he would do it at the end of time. We didn't know when that end would be. Has God abandoned Israel? Certainly he has not. This is what the Lord says, he who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and so its waves. Yahweh of armies is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares Yahweh, then the descendants of Israel will also cease to be a nation before me forever. That is what the Lord says. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also reject all the descendants of Israel for everything that they have done, declares the Lord. When Dwight L. Moody preached in the 1870s that 
I'm paraphrasing now. I read the quote in the first service that when the Jews came the first time, they had no room for, when Jesus came the first time, they had no room for Jesus in Bethlehem. But when he comes again, they will welcome him with open arms. And he quotes what Jesus said. They will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember, Messiah will not come back to Israel until the Jews are converted where they're able to say, blessed is he, speaking of Messiah, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, and then the Jewish people will be a witness to the world. Moody was laughed at and mocked for saying that. Now, Moody was probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the church, apart from maybe Dr. Billy Graham. And he was mocked and laughed at. But what did he do? He believed what God plainly said. Paul asks in Romans 11, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. In Romans 11, 11, he asked the second time. I asked them, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? Meganoita, absolutely not, no way. God knew all about the unfaithfulness of Israel. And sadly today, people confuse the conditional promises of God with the unconditional promises. Certainly there are conditional promises that God made to Israel. You obey me, I'll bless you. You disobey me, you'll come under discipline. But then there's unconditional promises where God is gonna be faithful no matter what the Jews do. You say, but so many Jews in Israel are living in rank unbelief. That's true. Like the majority of Americans. But a day is coming where it's all going to change. Third and finally, we should be ready for Christ's return. This world may seem like it's falling apart, but our sovereign God is actually bringing it all together. And there ought to be a sense of expectation, a sense of holy living in light of what we are seeing lived out right before our own eyes. I mean, if God can, if God can say to Gog and his allies, you better prepare, <laughs> what could he say to his own people? We ought to prepare. We ought to be reaching out. We ought to be sharing Jesus Christ. We ought to be doing everything in our human power with the help of the Holy Spirit to win men and women and boys and girls into the kingdom. And some of you, though, listening to my voice, you have no assurance that heaven is really your home. You hope maybe you'll go there, but you don't know. You can settle it today. If you will admit that your sin is wrong and it needs to be forgiven and changed, if you will put your faith where God put your sin on Christ, the one whom he raised from the dead, proving his sinlessness, the only one who could pay for your sin, he will save you in a moment's time. But you must humble yourself and submit to Jesus as Lord. Now, our Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture that we've studied on this Lord's Day, a challenging, difficult portion Help us as your people to pay close attention to what you've recorded here. Help us not to miss how you are putting the pieces together for the return of your son from heaven. We are reminded that your catching up of your people will happen first. Help us not to be blind that the hour clock is running low, that we need to be living holy and speaking of the best news that men can ever hear. Help us to do it this week in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program GPS-002. Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. 
You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.